Well, this is the start of Advent, and our theme for today is hope. Our preacher was going to be Pastor Ron Swade, but he is uh, he and Deb are both sick. Uh, they've been sick the last couple of weeks, and so he let me know that he would not be able to to bring the message this week. So uh, hopefully here in uh, another week or two, he will be ready. So we're not going to focus on the theme of hope this morning, but instead on the theme of faith. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7, uh, where we will be looking primarily today. Isaiah chapter 7. The devotional that has been uh, put together and is now available in the lobby is on the theme of virtue. Um, my instructions to those who were writing for it this year was uh, not to feel like you have to make every reading every day in December about Mary Joseph, the shepherds and the angels. And, but we, we took a different virtue and highlighted that for each day of, of the month. Um, tying it in at times with with some of those uh, Christmas story themes. But this idea of virtue coming from the fact that Jesus Christ is our ultimate example. He is the embodiment of every uh, true virtue, of every uh, good thing that God calls us to live uh, according to. And, and you know, the, the story of 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 the world is a story of, of struggling to find what is right and true and good and, and, and living that out. And Jesus Christ is our perfect uh, example. He came to allow us to be transformed, to live that virtuous life. So we're going to focus on some of these key virtues in the weeks ahead. And um, hope was for today, but it will be deferred. But we still have hope, don't we? Uh, today, instead, we're going to focus on the virtue of faith. Faith. And uh, last Sunday, we ended our series on 1 Timothy. And in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 12, Paul commends us to fight the good fight of faith. So we carry on that idea here today, fighting the good fight of faith. And so let me begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you, um, you give us faith by being with us. And I pray that you would stir that faith in our hearts today as we come to you. Uh, whatever the circumstances may be that we find ourselves in the midst of, we know that uh, we must face these challenges, these opportunities, these times with faith. So speak to our hearts, we pray. Help us to hear and to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Jared just read to us from Isaiah chapter 2. And I want you to look back, before we get to Isaiah 7, at chapter 2 one more time. At something Jared just read. Because it's really important here. Isaiah has so much to say in terms of this expectation, this faithful expectation of what God is doing in the world. And so much of um, what Isaiah says is prophecy of, okay, there's a lot of doom and gloom here. A lot of problems that, is, that are being foretold. But there are these moments where the light shines bright. And, and Jared read one of those here from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. 
It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. I just want you to get this idea, this picture in your mind. And it's in the latter days. So it's not in that immediate moment. But by faith, in faith, there's this expectation that this will come. That the, the mountain of God, the mountain of the Lord, it says, will be lifted up above the hills. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen or exactly what that's going to look like. But there's this sense in which the mountain of God lifted up. And then something interesting is described here. The nations, it says, will flow, will flow into it. All the nations shall flow into the mountain of the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is this defying of gravity. If the mountain is lifted up and yet the nations are flowing, they're flowing up, not down. They're coming up to the house of the Lord. All the nations in one place gathered together. And we believe this by faith, by faith. And then what are they doing there? Well, verses 3 through 5 uh, that Jared had already read to us, tell us that they were coming so that, they, uh, so that the Lord may teach them his ways. They're saying, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We want to live God's way. All the nations coming up to the mountain of the Lord to live God's way, to express and experience the virtue, essentially here, the virtue that God imparts to us. But of course, in the midst of what Isaiah is experiencing and everything else that's going on, this is uh, a lot to accept. It has, must be received by faith. So faith is essential. It is the first base. And, and as Romans 1.16 reminds us, we are saved by faith from first to last. It is a righteousness that shall be lived out by faith. So faith is the key. And yet in the midst of, of, of this story, in this situation that we find ourselves now in here in Isaiah chapter 7, the king of Judah, the king in Jerusalem, the king on this mountain that is going to be lifted up someday, even he doesn't have faith. There is no faith in Jerusalem at this time. King Ahaz, who we're going to meet here in a moment, is not ready to fight the good fight of faith. Look with me now at Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Now, let's figure out who these people are. First, we have Ahaz, the son of Jotham. He is the king in Judah. He is the king in Jerusalem. Now, at this, this, is, at this time in the history of, of the nation of Israel, the, the nation is divided in two. So there's a northern kingdom called Israel. There's a southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom's capital is in Samaria. The southern kingdom's capital is in Jerusalem. They aren't getting along. Ahaz is the king in Jerusalem, and he is a really 
horrible dude. I mean, when you when they describe the kings at this time, uh, there's basically two categories of king. There's bad, and then there's really bad. And Ahaz happens to fall into the really bad category. He's practiced child sacrifice. He's fallen for all these pagan uh, idol-worshiping things and business. And it's, it's just bad. Ahaz is not a good guy. But God is trying to get through to him through the prophet Isaiah. And he has this problem, Ahaz does. He's got these two other kings that are now aligned against him. The first is Rezin, and the second is named Pekah. One is from Samaria, and the other is from uh, Syria. And it says they have come up to Jerusalem. They've come up to the mountain. They haven't come to learn virtue, though. They haven't come to beat their um, uh, swords into plowshares as it said in, in, in Isaiah 2. Instead, they have come to wage war. They're just waiting for the right time to attack. Now, we need a little bit more background here, and if, if, if you read more of Isaiah, you, you would get this, but I'll just try to summarize it for you quickly. They are threatening Judah because of the threat of Assyria, and there's a whole kind of complicated political background to all of this. You've got these two nations of Samaria and Syria uh, under threat from the greater empire now that's rising up of Assyria, and they're fearful that Assyria is going to attack them, so they want Judah to support them against Assyria. But the Ahaz, the king of Judah, is thinking, maybe I ought to just form an alliance with Assyria instead. And that's now going to put him at odds against Syria and Samaria. Anyway, it's a fairly complicated situation. Ahaz and Judah are under siege at this point, and it doesn't look good. Um... It says, uh, verse 2, When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now that's a, quite a picture of the fear that's now running through Ahaz and the people of Judah. They are shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. If uh, we're to talk about faith, and they need faith right now, this is where faith is being tested. And Ahaz does not have faith, and he is not passing the test. He is shaking in fear. You know, faith is easy when it's untested. Anybody can say, oh, I believe in God. God will provide. When you're, when you're in good times, when, when times are easy. But it's the time of testing that really makes it hard. And now the time of test has come. And let's see what happens. Verses 3 through 9. It says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, so now we meet the prophet Isaiah. He says to him, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah. 
Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within sixty-five years... Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. First, um, in verse 4, we see Isaiah's four-point sermon to King Ahaz. He shows up and he says to him, number one, be careful. Number two, be quiet. Number three, do not fear. And number four, do not let your heart be faint. And why does he say all this? He says, well, these two nations that have come against you, uh, Samaria and Syria, or Israel and Syria, they are, they are smoldering stumps of firebrands. And he's saying they will be uh, defeated. But then the key here, and the key of faith, is in the end of verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You know, our intuition would tell us otherwise. The world, the flesh, the devil, all come around to say the opposite of what God says here through the prophet Isaiah. Because we would believe by our own intuition that faith is weakness. That strength is what we can see, what we can test, what we can prove. And that if you're having to believe something by faith, it means you don't really know. You don't really believe. But what God is saying is the opposite. If you are not firm in the faith, then you will not be firm at all. That faith is foundational. And it's in the trial that faith is built. It's in the midst of the struggle that we find out whether or not the faith is real. And this is Ahaz's moment to turn. This is the opportunity Ahaz has been given to finally demonstrate that he will put his faith in God. This is the test, but instead he's shaken like a tree in the wind. And let's see what happens. Next in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And, and this is what God says to Ahaz. This is kind of interesting. He says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. God's saying to Ahaz, you ask me for a sign and I'll give it to you. Now that's kind of uh, um, unusual. God's usually not wanting people to test him, but he's offering this time to, to demonstrate something to Ahaz to prove that he can do this. As, as deep as the grave or as high as the heavens, you just ask and I'll show you my power. And look how Ahaz responds in verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. All of a sudden, Ahaz becomes pious. Oh, I'm not going to put God to the test. I mean, we're not supposed to do that. And of course, even Jesus 
says that when he's tempted by Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here in this case, it's not Ahaz who would be testing God. It's God offering Ahaz anything he wants to prove that he will prove to be who he says he is. But Ahaz doesn't want this. And why? Why does Ahaz turn down the test or the proof? It's because he doesn't want God to be in charge. He doesn't want to see that God is sovereign overall. Ahaz is set in his wickedness, and he is not interested in turning. So verse 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of Israel, and this is now uh, Isaiah speaking, Hear, O house of David, I'm sorry, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Hmm. He is not going to turn. He is not going to trust. He's not going to place his faith in God. So what happens? God sends a sign anyway, even though Ahaz doesn't ask for one. And verse 14 is the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. I'm just going to stop there. He continues with some of this prophecy, but I think we're starting to get enough of the picture. And if you read Isaiah and try to study it, you, you realize how confusing this can be and why it's such a struggle for us oftentimes when we dig into a book like Isaiah. What is going on here? What is he talking about? Well, first of all, there is this sign that God is going to give. This sign is that a virgin will have a child. She will name him Emmanuel. And when he gets old enough... Uh, to, to refuse the evil and choose the good, then the kings that are threatening is, uh, Judah will be deserted. They, they're, they're, they, this threat will no longer be there. So there's this good news, but then there's also bad news. This sign is also going to bring news that there's going to be even greater powers that, that rise up. And it's Egypt to the south, who are described as flies, and Assyria to the north, which is described as a swarm of bees, and they're going to come in and wreak havoc on the land. So there's going to be deliverance, but then there's ultimately going to be judgment. That's why this gets so difficult sometimes to, to iron out and understand. But here's, here's the main thing we want to get from this. Remember all the nations coming up to the mountain of God. All those nations flowing in to, to hear from God, to receive from God, to, to, to come as one people in one place. Well, instead, all the nations are coming, but they're not flowing in, are they? They're coming as bees and as flies, and they're coming to destroy and lay waste. It's not a very promising picture. But through it all, there is this word of hope. 
this sign that must be received by faith, this child that will be born and given the name Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So God has promised here to be with his people through defeat, through suffering, through destruction. And he's revealed it in a child that this message is to be received by faith. The message of God with us. I don't know if anybody caught it then. Isaiah probably knew something of what this meant. But they had to wait a long time to finally understand what Emmanuel meant. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. I believe this is the message that rings clear in what Isaiah is teaching us here today. You are not firm in faith. You will not be firm at all. But when you face that next test, when you go through the trial or the struggle, when you feel like things are pressing in from all sides and you're not sure what to do, will you stand by the promise of God with us? Emmanuel. When you feel like you're going to shake as the trees of the forest shake in the wind, will the sign of Emmanuel be your strength. Will you have that faith that God is with you? Because he is. This is his promise to be with us. And there are so many great examples of this throughout scripture. In Genesis chapter 39, we find that story of Joseph. And uh, Joseph has gone through one trial after another. He has been sold as a slave into Egypt, and he's now been thrown into the slammer because he's been accused falsely of, of, of wrongdoing, and he's been lost and forgotten in prison. He was told and promised by God that great things would come through him, and yet now he's suffering, and, 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 and he seems to be forgotten. But he's risen in the ranks again in the prison, and in Genesis, is chapter 39 the prisoner or the the, the the prison keeper notices Joseph notices that there's a difference in him and it says in chapter 39 verse 23 the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Notice in the midst of prison, it says explicitly, the Lord was with Joseph. And of course, Joseph eventually is freed from prison. He rises to be uh, second in command in all of Egypt. He saves himself, his family, his nation. God was with him. Or in Joshua chapter 5, uh, there's this incredible story of, of uh, Joshua leading the people of Israel. Um, they're on the other side of the Jordan. They're ready to attack Jericho. The great walls of Jericho stand before them. There's no physical uh, feasible way for the nation to defeat Jericho and its walls. And I'm sure that the people of, of Israel at that time were shaken in fear like the trees shaken in the wind. And then something miraculous happens in Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
And he said, no. Isn't that a great answer? But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The commander of the Lord's army is the presence of God with Joshua, with the Lord's army, leading them in battle. God with us in the face of a great challenge. Or I think of another example in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, those um, fearless men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar had created a giant image and required all the people of Babylon to bow down and worship this image. And he said, anybody who doesn't worship the image is going to be thrown into a flaming furnace and we're going to stoke that thing up as hot as it can possibly be and you're going to be incinerated for failing to worship as I have instructed you. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say no. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury and anger towards them and so he carries through on his threat. He throws them into the fiery furnace. But in Daniel chapter 3 verse 24 it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. God with us. Manuel. And then one more example in Matthew chapter 1. As we now come to the pages of the New Testament and the story of Jesus is upon us. Joseph is terrified. He finds out that the woman that he's betrothed to is pregnant and expecting a child and he doesn't know what to do. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. He's trying to figure out what to do. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. The angel comes to Joseph and tells her not to be afraid. The angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What's shaking your faith right now? What are you up against? Is it a family crisis? Is it a job situation? Maybe it's just personal doubt. Maybe you've failed at something that you thought you were going to succeed at and you're questioning yourself and you're shaking inside. Remember that if we don't have 
faith. If our faith is not firm, we will not be firm. But that we have God with us. Emmanuel. He will be with you through the trial, through the burden, through the suffering, through the loss, through the transformation, through the unknown, the thing that you don't have any ideas coming, he knows. And God with us goes with us into that experience. Just a few more points of application here before we wrap this up. First of all, notice the promise of Emmanuel, which is defined for us there in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, means God with us. God with us. It's not just God with me, but God with us. And I think there's something important there. Um, we lose our awareness of God when we separate from God's people. When we feel like we're all alone, it's hard to feel like God is with us. But when, when we are with God's people, then we know that God is present. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my presence, there I am in their midst. And so this sense in which we need others to be with us to know the presence of God. We were talking about that in Sunday school a little bit today. Just the importance of the church and the togetherness that we need to share through those hard times and those struggles. And then finally, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. A very... Um, wonderful promise... One of those great scriptures that we want to memorize and hold fast to through all the struggles and challenges that we face. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us. You know, you could say if God is with us, if Emmanuel is with us, then what or who can be against us? What are you afraid of? Will you trust in him? Or will you be like Ahaz and refuse to even try? There's a story about an elephant that was once in a circus, and it was a giant elephant, a very large one, um, that they would take from town to town. And someone had noticed that this giant elephant was tied up to an 18-inch wooden stake with one little rope. And somebody said to, to the owner, well, how on earth... Do you keep this giant elephant tied to an 18-inch wooden stake? And the guy said, very simple. He said, from the time that elephant was a baby, we tied him to that stake. And when he was first a little elephant, he couldn't break free. So he gave up. And he's just assumed from that point on that there's nothing he can do. So here's the question for each of us. What small stake 
with the faith that God is with us release you from? What is that simple thing in your life that you are tied up by? It doesn't need to tie you up because God is with us. He will set you free. So it is by faith that we are held firm. Faith in what? Oh, faith in the good news that God has come in Jesus Christ, that he has given his life for us. He died for us so that we could be forgiven and made new. He rose again from the dead and he is coming again. I hope you believe that and know that today. That is the faith that transforms. And if you don't know that faith, then you're still bound by an 18-inch wooden stake. But be released today. Put your trust in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to put you on a new path. Follow in his way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we encounter the trials of life, the struggles, the temptations, the hardships, the grief, we're tempted to shake like the trees that shake in the wind. But God, we know that you are a God who gives faith. You give faith by being with us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and to know that. Like Joseph, like Joshua, like Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And like the other Joseph, thank you for the promise of Emmanuel. Amen. If you would take your